Welcome to Weapon of Choice, a podcast where creatives across mediums give us insight into the weaponry of their art. Each episode, you'll be hearing an interview with an artist who uses their art as a weapon of choice for social change and disruption, visibility and justice, cultural critique and resistance, among other things that ignite social consciousness and community action. These artists will tell us about their journeys toward the battles they are fighting, how they design, sharpen, and develop their artistic weaponry to strike a blow against injustice in the world. Welcome back. Yes, yes, y'all. We hitting you over the head with these episodes, <laughs> but it's only because we've just been waiting and wanting to get uh, these interviews to you with these amazing guests. So, uh, you know, we're going to get right into it. Just reminding y'all to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, click subscribe, leave those five stars, leave a review. It actually uh, does really a helps. little part in helping, uh, you know, us, you know, whatever algorithms and Apple and Facebook are fighting over, beefing over. We want to be part of that anyway, because, you know, let's let's get our show out there. Tell your friends, tell the world, share it on Facebook. When we release episodes, share that. Because, uh, you know, we need that organic reach. We ain't got no budget for no boosting and advertising and all that. And I, it's probably a sham anyway. Fucking it is. Zuckerberg, Zuckerfuck, you know. Um, <laughs> so uh, let's uh, let's get into this next episode. Andrew, we were in New York for this one. This is one of our NYC Brooklyn series. That's right. And uh, we sat down in a little, like, what do they call it? Like a shared workspace. But it had a little podcast booth um to record this one and the vibes and the energy i mean listening to this episode you'll totally be able to tell this uh it was such a great time sitting down with joseph capehart to uh to interview and just have this great conversation so um a little bit little introduction yeah we were in uh what was this dude electrospective in brooklyn That's what it was called. and not only that we left there, uh, said peace, you know, said our peace to Joseph, and we walked into the corner bar right there, which was this black ass bar with uh, uh, some black bartenders that were, you know, just great to talk to, entertaining, really, really cool, laid back. Hell, we, we were, <laughs> by the end of the night, and after however many uh, specialty drinks that these, uh, oh these bartenders made for us, we were asking for an application. We were like, man, we want to work here. So, uh, shout out to our amazing bartenders that night, Tatiana and Pam at the Little Donkey. Thank we you, thank we you. will be back because we then we went down the street and had it's some a great time, bomb ass tacos. Yeah. Great conversation, good company. Yeah, I don't remember the name of the, the place where we got the tacos, but I never I know if we exit the Little Donkey, we will find it. Yes, <laughs> next time we're in New York, so we'll we'll see our friends in New York again before long. And uh, Cape Hart, you're going to love this episode. No, this is a very, very special episode. Black men, if you're listening, save the episode wherever you're listening to this and listen again. And uh, Joseph's repping Liberia, Minnesota. Tell me more about Joseph Andrew. Joseph Cape Hart is a nationally acclaimed poet, speaker, host, educator, and community organizer. Liberian by way of Minneapolis, Minnesota, he holds a BA from North Central University and is currently an MFA candidate at Randolph College. He lives in Brooklyn with his wife and his dog. So excited. Wonderful. My name is Joseph Capehart. Uh, I am a seventh grade teacher mostly these days. I'm a poet, a youth pastor, and uh, what else do I do? 
there's there's something that I'm forgetting in there. Uh, my <laughs> my my time is full. Yeah. Um, husband, dog, dad. That's it. Yeah. Dog is in the house. Dog is in the house. Novella, right. the dog. Hey, what's your weapon of choice, and what battles are you fighting? All right, yeah. <laughs> so I'd say a weapon of choice is um, poetry, and when it comes to the battles that I'm fighting. There's, there's some stuff. Um, one is uh, some of these battles are coming uh, external, some of them internal. Um, I grew up, um, I, my family's 100% Liberian. Mm. Um, they moved to America um, running from civil war in Liberia. Mm. Um, so um, all of them refugees coming here. We, I grew up in Pittsburgh um, in like, uh, like black American neighborhood. Like nobody like met an African before. Um, mm. So it was pretty... Um, it was tough to kind of like compare and like hold these two existences next to each other and be like, who am I in the midst of it? Um, so it's just kind of like, am I a black American or am I an African? You know, it's just like at home, I'm one thing at school, another, when I was about 12, moved to Minnesota, but I moved to Wyzetta. Um, so things got switched real fast. Um, and suddenly I was in like the richest white neighborhood, um, in the country. I don't know, like, <laughs> but for sure in Minnesota. Um, so it's super off. And it, it's such an interesting thing. Cause it's like my mom, I came to live with my mom and she was, um, she was working as a nurse, um, for, um, somebody who lived in Wyzetta. So we got to live in their basement and it's like their basement was like a whole nother house. Um, so we lived down there. So I was going to school with kids, all white kids, um, like the first white people that I'd ever met, um, really, that I'd like. In Pittsburgh, there was one white person, and everybody knew who that was. Um, so moving to where I was the only black person was a huge flip. So then I'm, I'm like holding this um, African, but black American, but um, surrounded by white people all in like formative times, trying to understand mm -hmm. um, what I am. So a lot of the fight that I guess I've been fighting with that, um, with this weapon of poetry is trying to unearth those things, like taking steps back. Um, I feel like I ran through it um, almost through necess necessity. Cause it's like you stay in it for too long, you you'd like something would break. Um, so trying to like take a step back, slow down, re, rethink um, and re-experience those things in some ways um, through my art um, so I can figure that out. And then having that battle in itself and then running into learning that, like in trying to figure out my identity and trying to figure out our identity, people are also identifying you at the same time. So then mm -hmm. there's a disparity between those things as well. Cause it's like at that white school, that was when I realized, oh, I'm, uh, I'm black and I'm to be feared. Um, I remember first day of seventh grade walking down the hallway and this kid plastered himself against the wall when I walked past. And Whoa. he was like, oh, I'm so sorry, dude, for like crossing my path. And I was like, Whoa. what? I, okay. <laughs> like I didn't realize that I was supposed to be feared until that moment. Um, and this throughout- This is a new millennium too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and learning um, throughout life that it's just like being in this black body, being from this African household, um, and also just growing up around like a bunch of like white friends at this point, that there were so many things about me that I didn't know that I, that I had to learn. Mm. Um, and some of this battle with poetry is kind of reclaiming, um, identity and giving a point where it's just kind of like, 
this is who I am or this is the person that I don't know I am. I'm still trying to figure out, but you've been trying to, I, I've been defined in so many ways for so long. You think that you have to define yourself. Um, so it's like you spend so much energy trying to figure out who you are exactly. So you, um, so you limit yourself in a lot of ways to the things that are open, the things that are possible to you because you're like, oh, I need to figure out who I am so that nobody else can mess with me. Um, and then you become, I find myself becoming more about what I didn't want to be than who I actually wanted to be at all. Um, and my poetry is trying to fight my way back through that and mm. reimagine something that's way more healthy, way more life-giving for me right now, at least. Mm -hmm. yeah. right, do, you, do you find it uh, easy enough so that it serves your poetry to go back into that past and explore it? Do you have enough, like, are you able to conjure the memories up? I think so. Um, um, my childhood is like filled with these like really like aggressively emotional moments. Mm. Um, so there's a lot of almost like landmarks in my past that I instantly fall back to. You know, like people ask me about what was growing up like. It's like there's like five instances that show up immediately. And mm. then I kind of like orient myself from there. Um, so it's been... Um, it, it's like it's like pretty easy. It's mm -hmm. pretty simple um, to do on my own sometimes, but I'm an external processor. So like talking to people about stuff like that. I'm about to find some shit out um, as I'm talking to you. <laughs> I'm, about to, I'm about to like remember something. <laughs> uh, because that's, a, that's just uh, how I've learned to like process the things that I'm yeah. going through, like talking to friends, um, hearing so about their life experiences, going through and I'm just like, oh man, that was messed up, <laughs> you mm. know? Um, so using poetry um, to do that has been really cool, um, especially since um, it's been kind of public since I started doing poetry. So it's always been a conversation. Kind of yeah. yeah. Right. Maybe that conversation that sparks mm -hmm. that formation to the first performance to the 20th performance. How does a, how does a piece kind of change? Right. Um, so when it's first, when it's first dropped down, it's super raw. Um, and a lot of the times not written down at all. I'm a, mm -hmm. I'm a huge fan of just like saying it out loud and which is part of the reason why performance comes a little easier yeah. for me because in the creation I'm memorizing it. In doing that, I, I like memorize a poem and it becomes muscle memory even yeah. as I'm writing it. So it makes it so that when I perform it on stage, I'm very comfortable changing things in the moment mm. um, because it's like, all right, the editing process isn't done. So let's continue doing it. Especially um, that, that hit more so when it came to audience that I was in front of. Yeah. Um, I found out that there were spaces where it was just like, yeah, I'm ready to be super vulnerable. Let's drop this line. Other ones were just kind of like, this isn't the kind of space where I want to do that. Um, yeah. So yeah. Let's, let's pull that back, switch it with another thing. Um, and for the most part, <laughs> when it comes to poetry, people don't know when you mess up or when you stopped and when you're like, your cogs are turning, you know, you drop a dramatic pause in there and they're like feeling it, you're sinking in, you're actually right into them right now um, before you move forward. Um, and then by the 20th time, something that I've been trying to ingrain in myself is keeping up that editing um, process. And that's hard to do after you've done it so much, it just becomes, um, it becomes muscle memory and you start saying things that were real, um, that aren't necessarily real now. And there are some poems where that is necessary, you know? Like that was for a time, it was temporary, like temporary things aren't bad, right? It doesn't have to be perennial. Um, so sometimes that's okay, but like recently, I, so I have a poem called Colorblind, 
that I performed 2014, I think is when I wrote it, um, somewhere around there. And I wrote that and in it over and over again, it says, um, I'm a black boy, I'm a black boy, I'm a black boy. And I was performing it at a college um, last Monday um, over in Baltimore and I was on stage and I was about to do it and I was like, I'm not a black boy anymore. I'm no longer under the age of 18, or I'm no longer like 18 years old. You know, it's like I am technically a black man now. And it was a moment of just kind of like, what does this poem mean to me now? Mm -hmm. um, so it's like, how, how do I actually um, communicate this um, from my standpoint right now? Because these are kids where it's like, I'm gonna be in conversation with them about how it has affected my life and what that's gonna look like uh, moving forward. So I, I ended up changing and like editing every single part in it to black man. And as I was doing it, I was just like, this is still a powerful message even in this space now. And that was like really worth it for me. Like mm -hmm. after doing it, like that's probably the 30th time that I performed that poem, you know, um, yeah. if not more. So it was really good to see that the poem was still breathing, um, even then, still kind of like hitting me there. Did it make me want to go examine some of your other poems and yeah. Like yeah. reflect on like, that those encapsulated moments of time that might get edited before you're Jay Z in it on stage, you know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> Jay Z and I love that. But, but, <laughs> but yeah, like that's I'm sure like you because what 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 was cool to me that I just heard is like you did those changes, mm -hmm. the update of Black Man, but you weren't. It just seems like you weren't worried about it not being as powerful yeah. in terms of whatever else, what other what other words exist within mm -hmm. the poem, you know. Which is uh probably feels great, you know, um, yeah. <laughs> in terms of like you know from four, 2014 to now, like I'm on this path. Mm -hmm. Is poetry your number one passion? Uh, yeah, yeah. Sure. So like, that's other a, than my that's wife, a blessing. Yeah, yeah. yeah art yeah. wise, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. trying to make some money. You yeah, know, yeah, right yeah. Now, right. <laughs> my only th just for one more thing on this: is there yeah. any that stick out to you that were, you know, I. Uh, First of all, thank you for giving that example. Is there any others that come to mind of like one change kind of domino affected like? Things that come to mind initially um, are a lot of these poems that I wrote from a um, perspective of, of being like a lot younger mm. um, and, coming, and coming from there. And honestly, also being a, a weaker poet than I think I am now. Um, so it's like even in the construction of the entire thing, I was like, I would do that completely differently now if I were to write it all over again. Sure. But I don't change it right. because it's important. That was important for what it was. Yeah. You know, yeah, um, yeah. if I create, if I create a whole new thing now, I'm creating a new thing, and that's fine. I can do that, yeah. right? But knowing that this thing holds a place yeah. um, in the world, it, yeah. In some ways, it's kind of like just like letting it go. Um, you know, letting it live outside of itself a little mm -hmm. bit. Um, one of the things was I had a, a poem called Boys for a long time, which was renamed Wolves um, after, um, after a couple edits. And the, the Boys one, it's interesting, like you can still find these on YouTube, like in like some uh, like low quality, like first shots of it. But I did that poem over and over again. And actually the first time that I performed it, um, somebody came up to me at an event and they were like, yo, that was mad problematic, what you just did. Um, she was like, you, you came at this from an angle of 
um, like the savior complex of boys mm. saving women um, and like talking about sexism and misogyny in a way that didn't center your experience. Mm. And I remember her telling me that and I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, yeah, she was like, um, if you want to like get coffee, we can talk about it and things like that. I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> and then I showed up at an event um, like a week later or a couple weeks later, did the exact same poem. Um, and it was, and the unfortunate thing about it is that um, I was winning these slams, right? So I was mm. getting rewarded for doing this. So I was like, why wouldn't I do it? I, you know, so, so I did it again. She came up to me one more time. She was like, I feel like you weren't listening to me last time, that you were just giving me lip service. And I was like, at that point, I was just kind of like, oh, you're like really, like what? I, I, thought, I thought my poem was fine, <laughs> as, as you often do. I was like, what? So then I, I took a look at it one more time. Um, and, and honestly, just through the process of being in the poetry community and going throughout, I was like, okay, I see what you're talking about. Mm. Um, like I really, like I started to see it and I was like, all right, how would I rewrite this in a way that centered it on myself? You know, that took it more, less away from, oh no, I'm sorry women that we've hurt you, to um, how has hyper-masculinity affected me in my own life, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. That way I'm not telling anybody else's story mm -hmm. and I'm not setting myself or men up as some savior in this, um, mm -hmm. in this thing. And in that rewrite was not perfect, um, definitely not perfect, but it changed, um, it changed the energy of the entire piece. Um, and yeah. I think the piece also got stronger. It like blew up after I did that, uh, <laughs> honestly. Um, and it, and it, became, it became something that not only was I like proud to do, but it was something where I actually experienced freedom within myself. Um, because I started talking about hypermasculinity, suddenly I'm starting to break these chains of hypermasculinity myself. When I'm talking about women and breaking their chains from a place of being a man, nothing's happening in me. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like I'm good. I'm just helping out. You know, I'm reflecting. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> Whereas when I actually centered it on myself, it was just kind of like, ooh, there's some stuff in here. We gotta, we gotta, <laughs> we gotta work on. Um, and that stuff started, that stuff started happening. And I'm like so glad because it's like, what, what amazing, um, I don't even know what I call it, like patience, but energy that I did not deserve that she gave me to mm -hmm. come to me once more, like multiple times to like tell me, yo, the thing that you did was not okay. Um, mm. like hurt me, you know, to like, I often think about the fact that she stepped out in that space of being hurt and offered me compassion yeah. um, and mm. gave me the benefit of the doubt and things. And I'm just kind of like, like, I don't know if I would do that today for somebody else, <laughs> you know? I, it's like, in many cases, I'd be just kind of like, yo, don't do that, <laughs> you know, like shut it down. Um, mm -hmm. and, and yeah, so I'm just like so grateful to have, to have that instant where somebody else um, stepped into the process. Um, and like sh and illuminated something that I I didn't see and I'm not sure I would have seen otherwise, um, and it and that from there changed how I wrote poems from that point forward. Um, like yeah. like every poem I have like after that point I can like see a clear shift in my poetry when I'm looking back at it. Mm. Of now it's more about me and there's a, a poet from Minneapolis called uh, Human Win, uh, incredible poet. 
And I was on a uh, the National Poetry Slam team with him in 2014. And the thing that he told me that stuck with me was, Joseph, we don't care about who you want us to be, right? That's not what the audience care about. We will want to know who you are. And, and that just like confirmed a thing that was like already working inside of me. It was mm -hmm. just kind of like, oh, the, the powerful poem is the one where I shine a light on myself. You know, um, it's like I can shine a light all over here on all these other people, but if it's devoid of me, then people don't connect with it. It's like super strange when you uh, become introspective and you look into yourself, like it feels like the deeper you go this way, the more people relate. Um, mm -hmm. which, you, which is kind of counterintuitive. Um, it's like you think, oh, I make it general and I mm -hmm. like cast the light out here at all the things that everyone's experiencing, then people will understand. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it turns out that uh, a lot of people are going through the same shit, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and they're waiting for somebody to say, yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And right. you're going within the void also of that, you know, we'll say super ego. Every We talked about earlier, everybody's got a, a level of ego always, but mm -hmm. you're going within the void of the super ego to say, like you said, counterintuitively, I'm just talking about myself. It's not necessarily people might not be interested in me just talking <laughs> about myself, but yeah. <laughs> when it resonates because you're being vulnerable, mm -hmm. and that's where vulnerability matters. Right. If it's talking about yourself minus the vulnerability, good luck. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Good luck connecting. Right. Um, and it's still hard, right? Like, and I'm mm -hmm. I'm thinking about like so talking about wolves, and I know you got. I know Andrew's curious about, you know, the that journey of entering the new space of reflection as a mm -hmm. black man, right? Yeah. Um, but basic, like, have you have you ever talked to one or more black men for at least an hour about? Black masculinity and toxic black masculinity. Oh yeah, and that's like, that's just a, it has given so much life. When I say to you, I mean things. have we for the most oh, part? Oh, gotcha. Oh, but like, just like have you general. ever been an instant yet? Instance yet? Yeah. And have you done it with one person? Have you done it with a group? Have uh, you done it with people who like enthusiastically entered that conversation or reluctantly? Um, I that conversation I have. I don't think I've ever had that conversation with somebody who entered it reluctantly. It was always people who were just kind of like, we were on this journey already. Mm -hmm. So it's like mm -hmm. a group of people together and we're reflecting on it. And then mm -hmm. it's just like, oh shit, there's so much here. Mm -hmm. And like running through that and talking about it. Um, How do those go? Those have gone um, pretty well. I, I think it's been one of those things where it's like, wow, there's so much that we have in common, you know? Um, there's so much that we've all been going through silently um, that that in that silence has created this really violent thing for tons of people. Mm -hmm. um, and trying and having that conversation really opened our eyes to that. So it went it went really well because it's nice to kind of like, um, yeah, it's just another instance of freedom um, yeah. of just like not being shackled down by something silently. But being like, hey, this is something, these are chains on all of us, and we've all got them. Mm -hmm. So like, now what do we do about it? Is was like a really liberating conversation to have. How do we create a more frequent conversations like those, even if it's just privately with you and a handful of people in someone's basement, mm -hmm. or an actual community conversation about specifically toxic black masculinity and the good parts of masculinity as well, mm -hmm. but all in conversation with black men who've like literally... I've done that once. <laughs> yeah. All of us for like three hours have never ever mm -hmm. done that. Right. Yeah. And it was like, whoa, like, right. Why, 
can we do this at least three yeah. times a year? Like, <laughs> right, right. That would be more than I feel like mm-hmm. what we're doing because like we're doing ourselves a disservice. Right. And we can say we're doing women a disservice, but back to your point, we're doing ourselves a huge disservice <laughs> to like go out into the world and show up in a healthy way. Right. To uh, like be allies if we are being mm-hmm. them. Um, yeah. Like what would what would you like to see? What frequency would you like there to be of those real conversations happening on that topic? Word. I feel like, so one of the things is, um, so as a youth pastor, church has been something, um, and my dad was a pastor, so mm-hmm. church has been something that's been a part of my life forever, you know, even in times where um, I, I didn't believe. It, mm-hmm. it was there, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that there's something um, interesting about this, like, weekly service thing. Um, uh, something somebody told me recently that I really love was that um, Sunday isn't the sacred moment or the sacred day. Um, it's the day that you remind yourself that all moments and all days are sacred. Um, so I think also in that of, I, I would love something weekly, you know? Just something, cause we need constant reminders. We're forgetful as fuck, you know? Like um, constant reminders that this is a part of our lives. Cause we're so used to, and because we've had these conversations like once ever, we're used to decades of not talking about it. So you get right back into that habit, right? So it's something that literally you have to create a habit of doing it. So it's like, even if it's like a a group chat with your friends that you like put in like every other day or something like that. Or, you know, uh, something like that. But I would love, I would love like a weekly, like a weekly situation would be really tight. Cause it just seems like once a week, set into your schedule is like I'm I'm with my boys and we and we are vulnerable you know we we like actually get to the things that are inside of us cuz possibly the other 6 days of the week we spent it hiding we spent it quiet we spent it not being the people that we um maybe want to be mm. um so it's like a a nice little like reset moment and it's like maybe we fuck up again you know the next yeah. 6 days which we probably do but we get back there and it becomes a habit it starts to seep in to the rest of your life mm-hmm. for sure yeah, a great gleaming from the uh, practice of being a churchgoer, you know, mm-hmm. it translates so, yeah. right. with commitment, obviously. <laughs> <you know? laughs> yeah, for sure, it's just kind of like, there's so much, there's so much bullshit when it comes to uh, organized religion. So it's like, when you see, I, I've learned to see the good things, and yeah. just kind of like, how can I use that? Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. Um, like, what can I take from here um, to make something life-giving? Mm-hmm. We're training all these ways, and there's also very few, if at all, a blueprint of what a affirming masculinity mm-hmm. for us to take up space is. So even in those moments where I'm like, "Oh, this this was a fucked up thing that I learned," like, <laughs> yeah. I, but how do we how do we tr- mm-hmm. like forge an alternative? Exactly. Where? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, it's kind of like. For, like literally that, right? There's no, there's no blueprint um, ahead of what this looks like. Like even in talking about what does it mean to be a good man, or like what, it, like what is like healthy masculinity look right. like, um, is is so tough, uh, especially when we like are like talking about gender norms and what that looks like. It's like what is masculinity? What is femininity? Anyways, you know, like yeah. how are we? Um, like how is that binary shape the conversation that we're having right now? Um, and I feel mm-hmm. like right. for that right. is when we get into these conversations, we have to really, we have to put a lot of stock in imagination, um, mm. you know, um, of just like sitting down and dreaming about shit. That's like, um, like I think I'm an idealist for sure. 
Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's part of what gets me walking in the morning. It's just kind of like, I'm not going to die today. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and I don't know. I feel like in a lot of these conversations, uh, we, we're stuck in the, the reality of things. Um, and it gets, it gets to the point where we feel so afraid to approach the conversation at all. Mm-hmm. Um, because we might do it wrong. Yeah. Um, and it's just kind of like, no, you will do it wrong. You yeah. know, and, that, and that's the thing is that we feel like we need to, and people, we feel like we need to pull it all together. We need to have our shit together before we start yeah. fixing stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and uh, again, again, like churchgoer, this yeah, is how I think. Yeah, a lot of people like, I got to have my stuff together before I accept Word, yeah, or even oh, like Jesus, to step into or, a church. I've had yeah. so many friends who are just kind of like, ah, nope, not me right now. And I'm just kind of like, you don't got to know. I don't fucking know. <laughs> Is that, like, I don't know if it's real. Like, yeah. it's like, and like, that's not the point. Like, if I'm yeah. coming here with complete certainty about this thing, I've missed the point already. Yeah. Um, so even in these conversations, I'm thinking, like, I don't know what it means to be uh, a man, like, outside of the performance that I've been taught. Right. Um, but we come here and we, we're real about that. Um, we're, we're vulnerable and we're honest about the reality of what things are. But we also need to dream up this world where we aren't. We need to conjure something better because we need something better, obviously. Yeah, right. right? We've been doing it wrong. Yeah, yeah. We've definitely been. We know that it, ha- it hasn't been working. Exactly. Yeah. So it's just step in there with all of your... Like, I mean, do your homework, Google some shit, but like, <laughs> like step in there with all your ignorance, with all of your mistakes, with everything that you are right now and dream of something better together with other people. And like, mm-hmm. don't be afraid to mess up and don't be afraid when somebody calls you out for messing up either. It's just kind of like, that's, that's going to happen. You know, we need this discussion needs to um, be built from that place. Yeah. Oh, feedback. Yeah. Constant yeah. feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, man, love that, that, that thread of like imagination because I, I feel like way too often we look at a pro like as we're all getting better acknowledging <laughs> the complexity of all this stuff and all the intersections and all the how murky can sometimes feel mm-hmm. sometimes that is a reason that people are like it's too complicated there's no yeah, answer yeah. it's like complexity just means we have to be that much more to use your word ima- like we just got to commit way more to our imagination mm-hmm. and get way outside those right. confines and also like there's times where we're either judged or criticized for being too idealist mm-hmm. or dreaming too much yeah, yeah or saying like we need to get some work done here yeah right. you know it's like excuse me <laughs> again not work- again not working yeah and what if i fail 10 times and we find it in one out of those 10 times but right mm-hmm. right yeah does that ever get annoying um, it it, it kind of does, and, and this is something that comes up in um, writing workshops a lot. And I feel like this is where my art feels. Like, I feel freedom in poetry, one, that, because when I step onto the stage, I'm not expected to have the answers, you know, in the same way that a um, professor might be, or even a pastor might be, you know? Yeah, when yeah, I step onto the real. stage and I, when I when you communicate through art, people have kind of a lens for art already. They're just kind of like what this person's saying may not be real, but it's real for them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. At least for the most yeah. part, people approach art in that way. Um, so it's really it's really nice having that freedom. And the things that I talk about in worship all the workshops all the time is that. Um, as artists, our job is to not only describe the world around us as it is, but also to conjure new worlds entirely. So 
in that in that place um I feel I don't know I like I haven't had that much pushback against it because I um I learned how to make it sound nice <laughs> and I think I'm a, I'm a pretty disarming person like I, I sell a hen like I can sell a hell of an email um they're just like wait I thought is he mad or not um and hey, yeah it's good it's a <laughs> it's a skill but so when I get on the stages it, it seems like for most part people people start to they take a moment and they can step out of their yeah. situations mm. for a second. Um, mm-hmm. And also being, cause in pairing my art with also like social justice work and things like that, it, it has this side of action to it. Yeah. Um, that it's just kind of like, you're right. We can't just sit here and talk the entire time. We actually have to do stuff, right? Um, we actually have to um, like kind of put our money where our mouth is. Right, so it's like when it comes to imagining, my imagination is, uh, my imagining is important, but the movements that I make towards that imagined reality are also important, um, and and that can be really tough, which is why you just mess up a bunch of times so you figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> what, was, what was the age where you like this? timeline i'm trying to create mm-hmm. where and you'll fill it in what was a what were the age where it was i like poetry mm-hmm. i'm going to write a poem and and to deciding you're a poet mm-hmm. to first performing <laughs> right so i like poetry yeah i'm going to write a poem now mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if you decided right away most of us don't as artists yeah like we're just i don't know i just write poems sometimes <laughs> yeah, i'm not a writer i just yeah. write sometimes yeah then when did you decide you're a poet? And from there, when did the performing happen? Did it all happen mm-hmm. in a short span of time? So I think it, no, it was really stretched out over a long time. And the performing came before I'm a poet, for sure. Okay. Um, so I wrote, um, when it comes to writing poetry, I was like doing that in high school, but it wasn't anything that I thought about at all. It was something that it's like I had a skill in writing is what it was. Like mm-hmm. my friends were paying me to like write their poems for English class. So it's like, that's where it started. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm good at this thing, but whatever. Yeah. Um, and then I started writing actually to impress my wife because uh, she was a poet. And she was always posting these uh, sad ass poems on Tumblr. And I was like, well, I want to write a sad poem about me. Um, and just like, <laughs> yeah, just vibe. I was like, okay, maybe I could do something. And I, and I did something that was trash. It was amazing. I sent it to her in a voice message. She was like, um, thanks. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I was like, okay. So it was like, it was like some good, uh, good uh, critique. So I was like, all right, let's dial it back. <laughs> and I, I did it. I rewrote it. And then I, I, I took a mega bus to Chicago from Minneapolis. And I went to an open mic. Because I was like, I'm going to try this somewhere. I don't want to do it anywhere. Anybody's going to know me. Let's, yeah. just, let's just get it out of the way. Mega bus to Chicago. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went to a place and I did it there. <laughs> and people were like, that was awesome. And I was like, oh, cool. That's all right. So I came back to Minneapolis. I was like, I guess I can do this around people I know now. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I did it. I did it. Um, and that was all around, I think I was 18 when all that was happening. Yeah. Um, and, and then I, I came back to Minneapolis, tried 
went to another open mic where I met someone that was like, you need to go to, it was actually um, Dante Collins, um, also another amazing Minneapolis poet. Um, and they were like, you need to check out Button Poetry. Like there's a, there's a slam um, like once a month or something, like you need to get out there and check it out. So I went there um, and I remember <laughs> I showed up and there weren't that many people there that like back in the day, it was like, I think there were like maybe 20 people in the room, possibly. Mm -hmm. It was like a really slow night for this thing apparently. Whereas now it's just kind of like the place is packed every mm -hmm. single time. Um, and I got on the stage and I performed this poem. I was competing against uh, Neil Hilborn is what I remember. Um, who's like a very famous poet. Like I knew about him before I even showed up into the space. Um, and, and I went there and I won that slam. Um, and then I was like, okay, so that qualified me for another slam to which I went to. Um, qualified me for the National Poetry Slam, which I, I went to. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. Um, <laughs> and it all, and it kind of spiraled, it kind of spiraled from there. And mm -hmm. it was in that National Poetry Slam experience where I met Hugh, uh, Human Win and Anna Binkovitz and Ollie Schminke, like all those, all those people who kind of taught me what it meant to um, kind of hold this art form in a way that was not only responsible, but um, I don't know what the word is for it. Like almost like to love it, you know, to like see that it was, I, I started to hear my own voice coming out of it, right? Because mm -hmm. at that point it was just a way, it was a means to an end for a long ways. It was just kind of like, I get recognition when I win this slam, cool. Um, and it's like, mm -hmm. that's great. I win money when I do this thing. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, um, I get the girl I like to notice me. Sweet. Um, and going into that space um, and having that completely turned up. And, and at this point, I'm 19 now. Mm -hmm. um, and I saw people using the art f as their voice. Like they were, they were speaking, they were screaming. They were crying, you know, through poetry. Um, and they were expressing and just being incredibly vulnerable in a way that I'd never experienced before. Um, and in seeing that and watching them experience their own freedom, I had something inside me started to free as well. Um, and, and poetry was right there to be my mouthpiece. Um, and I think that was a moment where I was just kind of like, oh, I'm a poet because this is the language that I know now. You know, mm. this is how I speak um, mm. the, the things that are, are happening inside of me. At that point, I was just kind of like, okay, that, this, is, this is what I am. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, it's kind of like realizing that you're <laughs> like sort of fluent in a language, you know, when you uh. finally put it down, where it's mm. just kind of like, oh, what languages do you speak? I speak English. Like, when do you put Spanish down? It's like, uh. I've taken like 10 years of Spanish, I would never put that down on a sheet, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, it's like, I, I'm never gonna write down like I know Spanish, because yeah. I don't, right? I don't know French, even though I took it for four years, right? But when it got to the point where it's like, I could put poet, poetry yeah. down, it was when I was just kind of like, oh, okay, yeah. I'm a poet, yeah. Um, yeah. a poetry speaker, <laughs> did, I don't know. Did some of those people on the national stage, when you got to know them, mm -hmm. have anything to do with like helping politicize the way you would attack writing a piece? Or um, when did the political <laughs> Politic mm -hmm. politicization, yeah. social justice, like when did that fire begin to burn? Yeah, I think definitely in that space. It was at mm -hmm. the National Poetry Slam. Like there was in Oakland, California that year. 
oh, um, and um, listening to everyone that was there and hearing voice after voice after voice after voice and and story after story and just being shaken to a point where it's just kind of like I don't know it was one of those situations um, uh, one of my friends said this thing about trauma he said that all all good art is traumatic um, mm. in that trauma being that it changes something about you um, like it's violent almost because it shakes it like tears something in you it puts it back together and you're like this whole like trauma in our life changed the makeup of who we are in a lot of ways um, in the way that we see the world mm. and 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 that art was very dramatic um, in that way and mm. I started to realize that I live a political existence um, and so when I write about myself, it's political. It was, it was, that was that point where I was just like, everything I do is political, <laughs> you know? I didn't realize that this was all tied, you know? Because it's like very seldom, like a, there's this idea about slam poetry that it's just these people getting up there, getting on a soapbox to talk about X issue, Y issue um, for some kind of like political push, you know? Um, like usually with like a, like a liberal bent and and or or progressive bent and what it, i actually realized that it was is that these were people with lived experiences that were talking about themselves and they could not separate themselves from policy you know from the way that the world saw them and the way that that interacted with um with legal issues um illegal issues and, and things like that um and i and i started to realize that i had made a a separation in my mind between the personal and the political. Um, and it just taught me that that separation was um, a fantasy. Mm. Um, it was just kind of like, no, everything you, everything you do exists within the context of some politic um, for or against you. <laughs> yeah. <I'm, laughs> right. It, while at times it can be traumatic to have to reflect on some of those things, and I'm thinking about as you come back from Oakland National Poetry Slams, mm -hmm. you probably like hear the news, taking the news a little different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or not just taking the news a little different, tune in for a little longer mm -hmm. when CNN or NPR is on, perhaps. Yeah. And then, you know, it informs you to say, well, that dude looks just like me. Yeah. Trayvon, whomever. Right. Um, is it, do you ever, like, because tragedy, like, Talk about anger. Like, I get angry at tragedy. Like, yeah. I get angry at not even, of course, we can be angry at the system, but the, tra <laughs> the tragedy that happened that yeah. day kind of mm. puts me in a swirl of anger. Do you ever struggle with tragedies being also catalysts for some of your poetry? Um, when you say struggle with, I mean, like, like, does it feel weird having it, it connected like that? Like, so you, if you're going to specifically write about something that happened mm -hmm. or an issue that, reflects on the nation and the yeah. state of the nation because of a tragedy mm -hmm. do you ever like go in there and before you know when you're trying to put pen to paper thing like why am i writing about this specific yeah thing? exactly uh for sure um because i think as as a black man and having written a lot of poetry about the plight of black men there's a lot of names that come up right it's right. like we're um really um like there's this push for saying people's names mm -hmm. and the effect that that has. You know, I come into a room and I say Trayvon Martin, there's, a, there's like a whole thing that follows after that. That name carries a whole bunch of weight now. Um, so I had to 
check myself on whether I was saying the name for effect or saying the name because the name was like bore into my heart and I could do nothing else. Right. You know, um, mm. and, and the differences between those poems were very, very sharp. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I have a lot of, I have a lot of drafts that I would never perform because it says, and, and yeah, that I, I had to change because they had names just for effect. Yeah. Um, and I realized that it was more so you wouldn't to be able to stomach that something. Yeah. Performing yeah, that. Yeah. Exactly. Even though you knew it would kill. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And especially since most audiences that I'm in front of are white. Um, it's just like, there was a point where I realized I was like, there are some spaces that are like black spaces for sure. But people hear poetry, white people come flocking. I don't know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's wild. But a lot of those spaces were, um, were in front of a whole bunch of white people. And then it's like watching, it was like watching Get Out and watching um, Sorry mm -hmm. to Bother You in mm -hmm. a theater full of white people. Cause it's just kind of like, what are y'all reacting to? You know, it feels weird to be, um, to have this thing in front of you. Mm -hmm and have people experiencing it in a way that you know is different than yours. Like you know, but you're not sure exactly what it is, but it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel quite right. So I, so there are a lot of spaces where I just kind of like, um, yeah, couldn't do that. And it sucks too, because at, at one instance, um, yeah, there's a lot of critique of myself that I had to do. Because um, then you, you like start almost feeling like a grave robber to use like really intense terms. Yeah. Um, just kind of like, oh, somebody else died. There's a name for my poem. Um, and I have a poem about that specifically of just kind of like, we would prefer the black boy to be a hashtag, you know? His name sounds better in a song. Because it's like we, we take these things um, mm -hmm. who are real life people, you know? Um, who have lost life, who their families have lost them. You know, that's an entire story that's gone um like spiraled toward death um and mm -hmm. or or pushed towards death mm -hmm. and it's it's just way too heavy to um too heavy and real to approach lightly mm -hmm. um so every time i just have to ask myself and then ask 50 other people like why am i using this word mm -hmm. you know um or why am i why am i saying this name yeah yeah what the do you still like use the terms for yourself in slam artists or spoken word artists or do you d default to poet? I, I default to performance poet. Performance poet, okay. Um, depending on, yeah, when, when people ask what I'm doing. Because when it comes to slam poet, slam is literally a competition. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I'm not doing anymore or haven't yeah. done in a long time. Um, so Intentionally? Um, somewhat? S somewhat, I guess. Uh, part of it is... Um, trying, I realized that I was really, really good at the performance or relatively so. Um, like I was better at the performance than I was at the writing. Mm. Um, and I was watching as people were getting up on stage and losing but you at like, slams. Whoa. But I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and then you got people who were getting up there and winning and it was just kind of like, that was emotional. But what did you say? You know, mm. um, and I was like, and there was a point where I was just kind of like, I don't want to be the what did you just say person. I was like, I want, I like, I think in the writing itself that there's something here. So I started, I've started moving towards that, which yeah. is why I'm getting my MFA in poetry right now um, and learning about the written work um, because mm. now that's the more vulnerable thing for me. 
mm-hmm. to like write on a paper and not be able to like uh, perform it for you yeah, yeah. Uh, um, and not be able to put everything I have behind it. I have to find a way to do it within the um, within the confined space of the page and the confined space of a white institution. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, and it. It's it's rough. So when people ask, <laughs> uh, when people ask about like what do you like, what kind of poetry do you do or whatever, it's like I say performance poet because that's usually what they know me from. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like I have a couple things that have been published that are written works, but most of it is just like they've seen something on YouTube or they've come out to a show and seen me perform something. So it's like performance poet doesn't have the. It allows me to separate it from the page so that they understand that there is a difference here, that I am still performing, but it's no longer for a score. Um, So it's not slam poetry. But when somebody says something, I'm I'm like, I'm not gonna correct. I haven't corrected anybody. You know, they're like, oh, you're the slam poet or you're the spoken word artist. I'm just kind of like, sure, yeah, I don't know. Um, It's like, I think I know what you mean. (laughs) uh, How is is the, Olivia and I talked a little bit about Mm -hmm. this, like how is, with social media, how has the scene changed? Or do we call it a scene anymore? Do we call it an industry? <laughs> yeah, you wow. Know? Uh, got deep um, real fast. So <laughs> it's, there was a point, um, there was a point where I looked at my Instagram, um, like I think two, about two years ago. I looked at my Instagram and I was like, this can be a tool. This could get me in f- onto more stages in front of more people to share more of my art. Um, and I started to see social media, in a sense, uh, helped me turn it into a profession, um, into something that I could make money off of. Um, and, and that, it shifted things. Uh, it's hard to say when the things shifted, you know, um, or what it looks like for a bunch of people. Because it's like, I know a lot of poets that like their social media is the drive behind everything that they do. You know, um, I, I just turned out to be bad at it. So I, <laughs> so it's just kind of like, I, it's like I tried to do it and then I forgot for like three months, which is, the, <laughs> which is my relationship with Instagram. It's like, I'm gonna try real hard for this month. I do a bunch of stuff and then I'm gone for like six. Then I'm back again to try one more time. Um, but I don't know, you, you saying industry like sparked well, a lot I mean, of do things. Do you find yourself in spaces or even in mm-hmm. internet space. Yeah. Uh, yeah, are you ever frustrated that these spaces feel disconnected? Because let's frankly, some people are trying to make a buck. <laughs> yeah. And know that that's the, that's the expedient tool. Mm-hmm. Um, Word. I haven't, honestly, I haven't, um, I, I haven't seen too much of that because because it's so hard to make a buck. Um, if I do see it, it fizzles out pretty quickly. Right. Um, like those tend not to go anywhere because it's like those, it, yeah, it's kind of like the thing I was saying before, like the language is in poetry, right? The language is social media at this mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Um, so then the, mm-hmm. it, it, mm-hmm. it ends up falling apart. Um, so, yeah, so I, I feel like in a lot of spaces I haven't I haven't really seen that. Um, but the like and it's been this way, like it's been inching on it for a while that performance poetry, poetry is kinda hot. You know, um it's 
become a thing that's cool all of a sudden, you know, um, where it was just kind of like, oh, if you're a poet, you're like in a dark room with a beret and you're like hitting a bongo every once in a while. And it's like kind of weird, right? There's like tons of movies that play on that, yeah, play yeah. on that trope. Um, and, but now I see, like, I mentioned that I'm a, a performance poet at a school in front of some high schoolers and they're like, whoa, that's so awesome. I'm like, Oh, okay. That's cool. <laughs> mm. <laughs> that's awesome. I'm glad that, that that's a thing. Um, mm. But it's like, so like recently, the like thing that's been like messing with me for a while right now is that um, I'm currently in conversations with uh, BET, MTV, VH1, like Viacom channels and McDonald's because they want to do like this documentary style commercial thing that includes my poetry um, and includes me in it. And, and I'm just kind of like, that's, that's kind of cool. I'm, I'm like, wow, that's, um, that's some good money you're offering me, <laughs> you know? Uh, but there's this like pull in my heart of just like, I, it's just like I know those things to prey on people of color, to use mm -hmm. them. Um, for, um, for their gain, for their ratings, and, and and for sales and things like that. So then it's a matter, and I haven't even come to a decision on this yet of whether or not I'm going to do it. You know, either, like both, it keeps pulling back and forth because I'm just kind of like, it's, yeah, you do want a career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Word is in that it's just kind of like one. I do need to pay bills, so that's honestly that's not even the the main draw to it, but. Really frustrating, it sounds like. Yeah, it gives you, it is a, a platform. Like, it gives you a, a platform that I, I wouldn't have otherwise, you know? Like, that's a pretty huge deal to, like, be featured on one of those channels or whatever. Um, and that would be really cool. And it's like, how much do I, how much do I care about it? And, like, what poems are they using? Because I remember they were asking me what poems. And I was like, <laughs> I didn't want to do, like, I feel super weird doing a poem about, like being a black child and like trying to like understand yourself and then the McDonald's logo shows up, right? That would be, that would feel, I was like, no way. Like that's gross. <laughs> like I, I, I don't like that. Cause it's like, I'm the, I was the black boy that you were selling to and getting, um, yeah, just like obvious malnutrition <laughs> um, and just kind of like preying on black communities in that way. So it's just kind of like how much, yeah, how much of capitalism do you take a part in to destroy capitalism? I don't know. Um, maybe, <laughs> maybe pay the bills, but also keep talking about what's wrong with capitalism. Yeah, exactly. You can simultaneously, you know, Blair talked about that, like mm. that, well, I'm trying to build a career. Of course, my shit needs to sell on Amazon. My book, yeah. <laughs> my book, right? Word, yeah. But you know, it's not mutually exclusive, and the fact mm -hmm. that we're human at the end of the day. Yeah. And you know, we just gotta talk about this shit, and we right. gotta talk it out, and we gotta figure it out as mm -hmm. we say yes or no to a deal. Right. Um. And that's the thing. As long as we're conversation, because that's the thing. When I see poets on social media, the ones that I respect a whole bunch that are doing great things on there, mm -hmm. they're the ones who are also critiquing the entire thing. Mm -hmm. They're not. They're not shying away from it. Um, they're mm -hmm. saying the thing that I'm doing right now is a performance. Yeah. This Instagram is a performance. You're not seeing me, right? Um, I am selling something here, and understand that. And they talk about the intricacies of what that looks like 
to have to sell something. <laughs> um, to this have is a brand to, pitch. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and I and I respect them so much um, because they don't get. It's just don't fool yourself, you know. Like don't play yourself and and think that it's just kind of like oh I'm a, I'm above all this, you know. Like I'm not I'm not doing this for the money because. Um, I've got this pure, I've hit Nirvana or something. I like, don't play yourself. Yeah, seriously. It's like, you're playing yourself if you think that that's not what you're doing. If you think this isn't a performance. And that definitely ain't going to get you paid. Yeah, yeah, seriously, right? It's like, (laughs) you, you do not understand the thing that you're, um, that you're experiencing, which tells me, and unfortunately makes me feel like that thing's going to eat you alive. Mm. Like if you don't understand the monster that you're playing with, you will be swallowed up. Because so a lot of the thing that I run into a lot in interviews is that people will ask me they'll ask me questions about a poem from the lens of of someone else that read my poem and got a completely different idea from it. Um, like I remember I was brought out to a women's conference once to to read a poem about um, loving my uh, little sister and like being and like the saying like I'm gonna be here for you you're going through a bunch of shit I get that but just like affirmation 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 because um, she was like a teenager's time was going through some shit and it was just kind of like this poem and they loved it and they're like we want to bring you out to a women's conference to do this and I was like that's weird like you don't got no women who can <laughs> who can do that um, and and so they so they're like, we want you, we want you to do this thing, we get there. And then they're interviewing me on the stage and they ask me, um, just kind of like, or they, they tell me. They're mm-hmm. like, it's so awesome to see, to have like a good male role model for all these women here. And I was like, how do I get off the stage right away? Because I was like, that, no, 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 no. Yeah, <laughs> kind of pr- propped up as. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, and, and that's kind of the thing I think I want to talk about the most is that when you get into, like in some of the positions that I've been in, um, you're kind of put on a pedestal in a way. Um, in some really weird pedestals <laughs> um, um, as that one, where it's just kind of like, no, like I, like just getting back to the facts, just like when I get on that stage, like I don't got any answers for you. Um, I'm not... Like, I don't understand how to end racism. I, I, like, I don't, like, I'm not the answer that you've been looking for. Um, so please don't bring me out to be the answer you've been yeah. looking for. Like, bring me out because you started a conversation yeah. and you wanted another voice in that conversation because yeah. that's all I have to offer. What's beautiful is Ta-Nehisi Coast does this too. Yeah. He, like, unapologetically says, I don't know, mm-hmm. over and over, not, like, to <laughs> one question. Yeah. But it's like because with your when you're on this given pedestal in that moment, mm-hmm. you actually can give them a bullshit answer and they will eat that shit up. Word. Yeah. But you choose not to. <laughs> yeah. So that says yeah. a lot about who you are as a person. That's good. Um, <laughs> because like I, the one time like Tana House's coach said, I don't know to five questions in a row from mm-hmm. an audience Q and A. Yeah. And, he, and by the third and fourth, he just kept laughing like, <laughs> it's like I don't know. And then he was like, next question. And they laughed again like, I don't know. That's awesome. 
And so, I, yeah, we like we need more of that shit, man. Mm-hmm. And so, thank you. Right, you gotta. And honestly, that's something that like I feel like for Tanahasi, or at least for myself, feels like it's been beaten into me. Um, of just like you give the bullshit answer for so long that you realize that um, you realize that it's again a performance. You've stepped into another performance space. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like I went through stuff in my life where it's just kind of like I needed vulnerability. My whole life in so many ways has been a performance. Um, you just forget who you are. So in those moments, it's like a, like a resistance act to like say, I do not know. I don't have the answers for you because I'm, because I, I'm tired of performing. <laughs> You know, um, but you have to, but you get tired of performing, right? So you perform a lot yeah. <laughs> and to the point where you're like, you're sweating and you're beat down and, and you like, like some, and we see this with, I've seen this in like actor interviews as well. Um, like, per, like performers, people only know them as their performed self. Uh, um, it's very meta, uh, but they, um, they get there and they do it for years and years and years. And then there's a headline, um, so-and-so breaks down um, on this. So-and-so flips out on this. And I'm like, no, that's the first time they've been honest with you. Like the moment mm-hmm. that he stands up and says, no, fuck this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like people are just kind of like, ah, oh, he's off his rocker. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. He's, yeah. uh, he's lost it. And the truth of the matter is, it's just kind of like, at some point you just get so tired. Um, and you, it is now more exhausting to be dishonest with yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, yeah. <laughs> more exhausting to be dishonest than it is to be vulnerable? Correct, yeah. yeah. Um, and it, but it takes a while to get there oh. a lot of times, right? For um, all the identities in with mm-hmm. it. I mean, this is the contractual nature of capitalism, right? Yeah, like, yeah. They want to bring you on, like, we brought you, you give us an answer. Like, mm-hmm. that's, the, that's right. the relationship. But then also to present any sort of, ambiguity um or not to to reduce something down to mm-hmm. like everything can be so- solved in a sound bite like well give yeah. me two takeaways yeah, for how yeah. i can go back and, <laughs> right. and it's like no like if, mm-hmm. if you really want to talk about this like let's this is going to take like hours and hours like this is ongoing work and work and work right um no so yeah that was just like mm-hmm. but yeah that capitalism preying on that thing of like this is the contract like yeah we bring you on you you give us uh, two sentences and then we cut to commercial mm-hmm. right. okay what would the world be without poetry oh the world be without poetry damn um so uh, the first thing that comes to mind when you ask that question comes from like the future because we're looking at robots right <laughs> we're like um things taken over or not taken over that sounds wild but it's like who knows? You know, iRobot was a hell of a movie. Um, but the the idea that there are going to be more and more jobs that humans are not needed for. Um, and I think poetry is never going to be one of those that are lost and like artistic endeavors. Um, it's just kind of, I don't think you can. Um, there's no mathematical formula to it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, yeah, there's no mathematical formula to vulnerability. Right, I can do the one-two step of giving you a um, aesthetically pleasing poem for mm-hmm. sure, mm-hmm. Um, but without poetry, um, and it seems to me like when I think about what poetry is at all, um, it's 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 an attempt to speak. Um, it's an attempt to speak, but you but you limit yourself. 
in that. Um, so you, you close yourself in a room almost that is the page or is a three minute poem on a stage or whatever platform mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. um, and you just, you, you just yell in that room or you whisper in that room or you um, cry in that room or, or whatever. I don't know, this is, a, this is a weird analogy. I'm losing myself in it. Um, Cause it's like without it, like I, it's impossible. I cannot conceive of a world without poetry because always, like always people are gonna wanna be understood. Um, so, mm. and I guess when I say poetry, I'm thinking just art in general. I can't think of a world without mm -hmm. art because the distance between me and you is so vast, right? Um, like we, you'll never know what I'm thinking actually. Um, so we're all desperate to be understood by each other and for somebody to say, you make sense, right? They, they like, we, we yearn for that thing. And I think poetry is a result of that. Mm -hmm. um, art is a result of that, of us trying to communicate with each other and realizing that the languages that we have are insufficient um, and we need things. So, I, and I never think that um, the language we have, like in this case being American English, mm -hmm. um, is, will ever be sufficient to communicate to you and to the world what I'm, who I am. Mm -hmm. um, and art bridges that gap for us. Yeah. yeah. I, I, just because I've read um, some interesting pieces about uh, other poets that have like gotten in the past four or five years, mm -hmm. uh, like stratospheric fame. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then a lot of like readership being like, has, has now the, their sort of um, pieces become watered down by mm. capitalism sort of yeah you know how, how do you navigate that as an artist of like as I get more of a following as I get bigger jobs and more notoriety um, the system itself not taking you at a watered down stage and presenting you in that way does it do you know what yeah I mean? yeah definitely um, and I, I've run into that issue time and time again um, where people want a specific thing when you show up you know, they, they want a piece of you, but they want the right piece of you, right? Mm -hmm. They want the, the you that they saw and they liked. <laughs> they don't want the rest of it. Um, mm. And so one, it's purposefully putting myself in spaces, making sure I always have spaces in which that isn't happening, in mm -hmm. which um, I all of me is invited in, no matter what. Um, and that, and that causes a lot of trouble, <laughs> you know? It's just like, all of you is a lot. All of me is a lot. And that's, and, and, I'm, and learning to be okay with that is like really, um, really tough. So like when it comes to how I'm writing poetry and what I'm doing, um, sometimes it's a matter of understanding one, that some people are bringing in for a specific thing, mm -hmm. right? And being okay with that, you know? <clears throat> of saying like, okay, you want me to write a poem about, um, I don't know what the fuck, um, you, like about running for your running thing. I just kidding. <laughs> you know, uh, what, do, what do people do? Yeah, some white shit. Yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, 
Um, yeah, it's just like, or somebody's like, okay, yeah. Um, speaking of white shit, that's like, I'm kind of into. We'll go there. Um, it's just like, let's bring like, write us a poem about brunch. We'll pay you two thousand dollars <laughs> to write a poem about brunch and perform it at our brunch. I'd be like. Yo, okay. <laughs> you know, it's like I'm down. Let's like let's make this happen. Um, but what? <laughs> but knowing that I want to make sure that they know that they're bringing me in for a specific thing mm-hmm. and not hide the rest of me. I want them to confront the fact that they're choosing a piece of me. Mm. You know? So, so you um, have those conversations. Yeah, for sure. So like churches, I've performed at a lot of churches before, and I'm just kind of like <clears throat> chances are, based on what I've seen, that I, we don't believe the same thing, <laughs> you know? Um, so I've had churches who've like brought me out to like do a, like a Christmas poem um, or to like write something for Easter and things like that. And it's just kind of like, cool, word. Um, but you need to understand when I step onto this stage who I am in my entirety. So it's like those are conversations a lot that are happening um, behind scenes. Yeah. Or it's just kind of like, um, it's like I am one blackity black 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 mm-hmm. <laughs> you know um and i am living in a world that is racist and you are a part of an institution that historically has preyed upon black people to like pad your wallets mm-hmm. um and like having those conversations mm-hmm. obviously not in a way where it's just kind of like okay here's the list of things that are wrong with you right. before we move into this um but just saying making sure that i make clear the tension that yeah. I that I'm going through, yeah. um, and being honest with it, and and not necessarily saying that they have to do anything about it, um, but just saying, but you need to know, you need I like I need to be honest with you, like here, like so for instance with the church that I'm working at, I'm just like I need you to know that I am absolutely incredibly affirming to um, LGBTQ, like that's just like a thing, that's like a non-negotiable for me, you know. So if I'm coming in to work with you. I, this is what, this is all of me, mm-hmm. right? So you need to understand that I'm not going to be, like I'm gonna tell them what I believe, right? Um, and it's just like, you want me, me to be a youth pastor? The kids show up and they ask me questions. I'm not going to lie to them about what I believe mm-hmm. so that um, for all of this. Yeah. And many churches have been like, nah, it's not okay, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it's like, okay. Cool. That's like, that's where you're yeah. at, whatever. Like, I'm not responsible for your growth, um, but I hope that this pushed you or challenged you in a sense, see you later um, and go somewhere else. But then there are churches who are just kind of like, okay, you know, they're, who are just like, we disagree with you, but we think that the message that you're sending is important. Yeah. So we will we'll have you in this space. And the ones that said no, hopefully, like, they were pushed enough to when the, the next Joseph mm-hmm. <laughs> comes along and says their truth. Right. They're like, they, they have reflected. Yeah, they say yeah. yes to that person. Word. It's like, you'll it's never like know, hit them in the face. Yeah. You'll never know. And that's what, about like using your truth and your power in any public space or potential mm-hmm. public space can like yeah. uh, plant seeds mm-hmm. to like fertilize the soil of society. And you're doing that just Word. by being honest, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah. So um, there are people also who are just like, they don't want a poem about race. You know, yeah. they don't. They don't want me to get on stage and talk about being black. They were, like they want me to come up and talk about being a man, maybe. Um, and then I just tell them those things. I, I cannot separate those th- things in my life. Um, like this is <laughs> this they, is the crossroads, and this is like where I'm at. Still say that. Yeah, to yeah, you. yeah. They seriously. To you. Yeah, they're just like, or they they the couch lesson. it in language of just kind of like we don't want like super political stuff. Um, like yeah. if you could. 
um, focus more on this. Um, and then it's just a matter of just saying, um, I know what you're saying. Yep. You should also know what you're saying. Let's yep. be clear about it and then move forward. Because it's like, maybe, yes, I will give you a poem just about being a man. Yep. And it's just kind of like, um, well, no, I, that's not possible. <laughs> it's just kind of <laughs> like, in my experience, it, it's just kind of like, I, I can't separate those two things. But it's like, I'll give you the poem about my sister. Yeah. Right. Um, but you need to know that that is a part of who I am. Yeah. And you are asking for a part of me. Yeah. Um, mm. Yeah. So it's it's like confrontational, but it teaches me to be um, teaches me to be honest because those conversations are awkward not only for them but for me too. <laughs> right. Because um, it's like I would rather not deal with conflict. Um, so in those situations, yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, you're forcing me to do this. (laughs) Um, so having to, having to get into that conflict and force myself into that space, um, takes a couple times Like you know, it's just kind of like maybe the first email, I don't bring it up. Second email, I don't bring it up. Third email, it's like, Mm -hmm. before we get here, we got to talk about this. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. and yeah, so that helps me with not watering down future content because I've allowed myself freedom. Mm-hmm. I've practiced freedom. Um, so if I can practice freedom, it becomes a habit. And yeah. it comes up, if you practice um, hiding, that also becomes a habit too. And your poems will reflect that as well. Mm. Yeah. Read a tweet of yours, loved it. Okay, okay. what was it? <laughs> uh, you said, our education can't only be reactionary. Mm. And um, something that is, I've just been thinking about that, um, you know, education, educating and awareness as thing, you know, only when things go bad. Yeah. Oh shoot, we need to we, know about this. Exactly. <laughs> How do you navigate those things of like all the all the the things that we're being drawn attention to, and then also like, how do I find time to just like educate myself <laughs> on these other like things that are yeah. going on? Word. Um. So a lot of it is, um, I need to find a good therapist. Because <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I I had a therapist back in Minnesota, came here, and they're all so expensive. Yeah. Homie charged me one hundred and sixty bucks for a forty-five minute session, and I paid it because I thought that my insurance was going to cover it. That's a whole other story. It didn't oh, happen. So I was just like forty-five minutes for an intake. Um, it was just like we like you learned who I was. <laughs> um, so it, it's super expensive, but that's one of the things. Is just like one of it is like just mental upkeep and yeah. trying to do all of it mm. um, because, and again, it's messing up and not really yeah. knowing because it's like that tweet was re- was me saying my education was reactionary. Yeah. Um, like when it came to um, uh, like ICE and um, people having their families being separated and things like that, like that only, um, my education about that came right. after the fact. I was just like, oh shit, I, what? And I just like, like went on a like research spree for a week and just like consumed all this information. And it was like, cool. Cause I was like able to hold an event and like talk about it and inform people and stuff. But I was just kind of like, man, if I had just been aware earlier, you know, not even with the, like, I don't need, like nobody needs a week of research necessarily, right. but just make sure that your eyes are open to the things that are happening around you. Um, and I think as an, there are some things that I'm like, everyone needs to know, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So as an educator, I'm just kind of like, I will always, these are like my quick one twos. Like these are always going to be things that I talk about at every single show. Um, if I'm ever brought out for a workshop, 
Like these are things that will always come up. Sure. Um, and so that so that helps because it's just kind of like okay now it's not reactionary because we're planting these seeds beforehand, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of like when you run up to this thing, you're not coming to it completely dry. Um, yeah. Assuming that I communicated it well, yeah. <laughs> uh, and and yeah, that's that's it. And I, I like for myself specifically, and like trying to balance like learning things for me is making sure that I stay in contact with people. Um, it's really easy um, as a artist. I, there's like this, and also New York as well. Like moving mm. here um, of solitude. Um, and anonymity of like, like being this artist that like closes himself in his room and like writes for like ten hours and then comes forth with gold or whatever. Um, it's just like that's never been me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, it's just kind of it, it feels like I'm writing in a vacuum and I've got nothing to go off of, bounce off of, or anything like that. So it's just like constantly having conversations with people mm-hmm. puts me. People are always teaching you something about themselves. Right, and they're all coming with their own stories that are then teaching you about the world, and it gets you in a place where you get an education, you know. Mm-hmm. And you you get education sometimes that sucks, but then you can um, you hear this thing, and now I can Google this thing, mm-hmm. and I can like hear other stories about it, um, mm-hmm. and I'm like compiling an education about this, mm-hmm. um, like a and, a and a critical one too. Yeah. Um, so it's not just like the first person who said it that that's what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. That, that's kind of it, just being in conversation with people. People are always telling you something, you know, um, right. by accident sometimes. <laughs> yeah. With, with, okay, uh, wasn't going to go right into the stables, but, mm. you know, A, are you, like, you're in the throes of NFA, but mm-hmm. do you still sometimes perform or do you still plan to perform? Yeah, so moving, moving to New York was like a, can I still do this, like, perform and have a full-time job thing? Um, because the performing isn't going to pay the, pay the bills. Um, it's like pay some bills sometimes and that's not enough for a family, <laughs> you know? Um, no. It's like, I just like needed a little bit more stability. Um, so um, the thought was, so for the first year I was here, I don't think I did any, I, I did a couple performance out of state that were like things that I had booked prior, but I like just held off um, and then hopped back into it um, at the beginning of this year. Um, and was just kind of like, okay, can I still do this? So I was like, okay, sent out some things and was like, I performed at a couple places, like, like maybe like twice a month or something like that, just to see if it would work along with it. Um, this past month, I've been further pushing in and trying to figure out whether I can uh, make that work. Mm. Um, and so, so like, you're catching me now in a place where I've performed quite a bit over the oh, past yeah. couple of weeks. Like, okay. I think I've had three different shows. So on humor, like, yeah. right, laughter. Mm-hmm. Some of your poems bring out laughter. Sometimes you are making a joke. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you do little interludes in between poems and you banter a little bit with right. the audience, right? Because mm-hmm. you seem like you're a funny cat. Um, <laughs> That's good. Can be, can be. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm curious as to always know about a certain type of laughter versus another type. When you hear it, you know it. Yeah. Like, like if, if you're when, specifically talking about race in mm-hmm. the middle of a poem mm-hmm. and you hear laughter and it's a certain kind of laughter, uh, um, like yeah. uh, an appeasing or more uncomfortable laughter uh, versus a... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, what's that like hearing the... <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know? When you're talking about some real-ass racial, right. racially charged That's shit. I, I love that. 
Because um, what it means is that somebody in the audience was uncomfortable, um, which uh, does the job, right? Yeah. Um, like this, uh, planting seeds, moving things, shifting things. Yeah. Um, like that lets me know that something that I'm saying and presenting you is butting heads with something inside yourself. I mean, that's what I'm here for. I'm here for that fight. You, you, know? ever, um, <laughs> you ever get that yeah. white liberal woke laughter? Like, oh, <laughs> like this. Oh, yeah. Like, no, yeah. I wasn't really trying to be all that. Word, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Um, and I mean, part of that comes from growing up in Minneapolis. <laughs> um, so it's just like, it's all over the place. Yeah, yeah. I was just kind of like, yo, you don't. You don't get it, <laughs> um, um, but I it's like I don't even want to. Like when they laugh and sorry that. to bother you, it's like wrong joke. Word, yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> you know? like, um, get out, wrong joke. Get out. It's just like yo, wrong one. Wrong one. <laughs> um, and hearing those inside me, it's just like a. I don't know. There, oftentimes, like just like being a black man in the world, the world is always confronting you with shit about how it sees you. You know, so it's like constantly you're being reminded in these little moments um, that, yeah, those these little microaggression things that mm-hmm. remind you mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. your identity is um, there's a distance between your identity and the way people perceive your identity, um, and the way that they see you, um, and that dissonance over and over again is traumatic, right? It like having that happen over and over really, really sucks. But most black people that I know at this point are at a place of being tired of it or apathetic to it. Um, It happens and it's just kind of like, oh, the wind is blowing, you know, like the sun is in the sky. (laughs) Um, You know, it's just like really obvious. It's like water is wet. Here we are. Let's move forward. Um, So sometimes when I hear that, it's just kind of like, a, well, I knew where I was, you know, like, yeah, it's like a reminder, um, a little reminder. It's just kind of like, I didn't need one. Yeah. I didn't need a reminder, but there it is. Um, and it's just kind of like, this is where we're at. Um, and a lot of those people, like I, one thing I've had to teach myself is to not be responsible for people who are not close to me. Um, mm-hmm. Like I yeah. can't. Um, but if you're going to be my friend, if you're going to be close to me, we got we got to have some conversations about like like what's going on here um but it's like you earn the right to speak into people's lives so it's like when somebody does something like that i'm just like i don't um not even that it's like not my place to tell you what's going on but it's it would be more of a violence towards myself to do so um so in those moments i I just get like there's like a mark i like mark that person i'm just kind of like okay yeah. <laughs> um, it's just kind of like that's where that is and it's like maybe someday that um that mark goes away i don't know you know um it's like <laughs> it's like i'd like to think that i give people the benefit of the doubt over it like i like giving people second chances or whatever but it's um I, yeah I don't when, know. Is, when is the work most fun the work it is the most fun when i am just doing the goofiest shit when i'm not it, it's the most fun when it's a all black room mm-hmm. um like all black audience and i'm on the stage and i'm not talking about the fact that we are being hunted right that's 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 when it's the most fun mm-hmm. um because then i'm here because it's like when i am talking about um like the 
like the violence enacted against black bodies in those spaces, like with an all black audience, it can be really freeing um, and awesome, but it's also pretty heavy yep. as well. Um, so just like robust laughter during my poems, may, it makes it the best. Like it, it just, it makes you, it makes me feel like I've carved out this little space. Somehow I've stopped time for a moment so that we could exist in this joy. Mm -hmm. um, and that's when it's the most fun. It's just kind of like those moments where time stops and we exist in joy. Mm -hmm. I'm like, Shit. cool. This is awesome. Like, I love this. Let's hang out here. Yeah. You know, let's get drinks in this place. Yeah. We got to go home, you yeah. know. <laughs> but let's let's live here for long enough to dream of a world where this could be our our being, you know. Seven out of seven days. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. You know, Word. Yeah. Um, yeah. Huh. Um, this is the most fun. So then how do you balance, how do you balance mm -hmm. cynicism and hope? Yeah. <laughs> um, is that a lot of it is just kind of like, um, giving myself permission to feel both, um, feel both, feel one more than the other on a day, um, mm. and just be the, just be like pessimistic and like not giving my, myself permission to feel hopeless at times mm. is oddly comforting. Um, because in so many ways, again being put on a stage doing the performance is i have hope and that i have a dream and i'm a fighter and i hang in there and i never go down with the punches i'm a huge fan of anime so mm -hmm. like growing up um growing up it's just kind of like i want to be i want to be goku i want to be the everything is bearing down on me but i'm standing in the face of it all and i got to come a away for your ass you know like i'm gonna, i'm gonna, i'm gonna, i'm gonna like i'm gonna like give it to you and i'm never going to back down and be the hardest worker every single day and that's mm -hmm. just not the truth of how human beings work right you can't mm -hmm. get by on sheer force of will mm -hmm. or on sheer hope um, so the days that i'm hopeful feel so much more important to me because the days where i feel like the world is ending and there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah. I allowed myself to feel that way and I yeah. didn't fake mm -hmm. it. Um, I, I was like honest of the place that I was at. Sure. I was pissed and I was sad and, and that's where I was. What are you tired of hearing? I'm tired of hearing. I think a couple of things uh, come to mind. One is 
uh, I'm tired of hearing um, from specifically from people that I don't know very well. Um, like specifically white people that I don't know very well. Hearing, um, I don't understand, can you teach me? Mm. Um, or um, <laughs> I've, got, I've got this thing that I'm doing. Do you know any black poets that would be interested? Um, or um, can you no that one's all right <laughs> um, but a lot of it, what it is is in making uh, like making art publicly um, people consume that art on their own time all the time you know, you could throw on a YouTube video and watch me any second of the day, you know, or you can like find a video or like a script of like a, like a lesson I gave and you can like read that or whatever. Um, and, or like my Instagram, my Twitter, my Facebook, all that stuff is there forever. All the stuff I've ever said um, on social media. And so you can just go and check it out. Um, and I find that people think that that's also how I work, um, that I am accessible <laughs> at all times um, and every part of me is accessible at all times because they're used to accessing me when they want um, for yeah. the things that they want so and there there are a lot of people that I give space to that for um, but I've, I've just been getting this weird they're like they're like seasons go and I, I get these like a bunch of DMs or a bunch of messages of of white people asking me to help them. Um, and I don't, I'm like, like come to a workshop. I don't know, like <laughs> I like, I find a different workshop for one. Like, I, like I'm sure that there are others that are better than mine, but it's like, it's way different for my friends, like my close friends that are white for us to sit down and have a conversation about that, you know, um, for us to like, be confronted with each other there. Um, because that's what love takes, is that kind of like, that confrontation with and for each other. Um, but when it's just random people, um, or not, or acquaintances even, you know, um, like that, that stuff just gets tiring. It's just like a sigh. And then it's mm -hmm. like, I don't even wanna, I don't even wanna deal with this. So I just lie to you. Mm -hmm. It <laughs> just kind of like, um yeah let's like catch up let's get coffee sometime <laughs> it's just like um sure. it's just like no i'm not not super interested mm -hmm. um and and that's something that i feel like depending on this place that i'm in in my life that answer changes sometimes i'm just kind of like yeah i've got all the energy in the world here we are um <laughs> you know let's get coffee whatever um not often, <laughs> but um, but sometimes, most of the times, I feel like just very tired um, of that. I'm also, ooh, the thing I'm really tired of hearing is the,
the officer was afraid. Mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that the officer was scared. Um, that, like every, every single time. Like obviously, every time a black person is killed by police, there's um, like people come fighting to, to defend the police um, for, for what happened, for, or not what happened. It wasn't just like a circumstance, what they did. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> so much. <laughs> I got you. I got that extra one. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Oh, no. <laughs> Still in it. Thank you, Nova Joe. Um, <laughs> so, in hearing, like, so people are super ready to come in the defense of what these officers have done. And over and over again, I hear, but they were afraid for their life. Um, they were scared. They didn't know what was going on. Like they um, reacted instinctually. Um, and, and it's just kind of like, how is fear so one-sided? Mm. You know? Um, it's like, I get that you were afraid. Like the reason that you were afraid, we can talk about why that's problematic. Like there's some stuff going on there. But it's like, I totally get that you were afraid. But you not understand how afraid um, he was or she was or they were. Like. Do you not understand um, the fact that that fear is two-sided? And in this case, many in many of these cases, with unarmed um, black and brown people, I promise you they're more afraid. Sometimes they're begging. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's on tape of them begging not to be murdered. Yeah, yeah. And it's just kind of like the, the fact that your fear, their fear, trumps yeah. ours is exhausting. It's just kind of like, oh, man, you, you start to like, you get to a point where you start to believe that, you're, that your emotions and yourself, that you are valid and possible. Um, and in that moment, just hearing that every single time, it's just kind of like, no, you're not. Like your emotions aren't valid in this case, or at least are not as valid as this one. So this is the one that we're gonna take a look at. Um, and it's just kind of like, yo, I don't care anymore that you were afraid. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. Like I don't, I don't have the time to care that you were afraid. Me caring about your fear could be fatal to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, so mm -hmm. that's something that I could go the rest of my life without ever hearing again. Yeah. And just and be good. Yeah. You know. What? What do you want to say to all the listeners? To all the listeners. What do you want to tell them? Um. Listen to the rest of this dope ass podcast. Okay. Um. <laughs> uh come through if i do you know like your demographic of listeners like is it mostly minnesota people or like minneapolis people or is it all over Dozens of countries. yeah wow all over the place um cool um but yeah if you wanted to come to something show up to something no or, don't don't come. Uh, <laughs> uh uh word it's like if you <laughs> it's like you can do your homework, I guess, and and if you find me, it's gonna be tight. We're gonna hang out. It's gonna nice. be great. But um, uh, yeah, don't come. <laughs> um, so yeah, for those folks, I'd say check out. Ooh, read. 
Read some books. There you go. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Just read, man. Read a book. Um, and there are tons and tons of books. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that's like that's like a like a radical statement. Like, there's a lot of them. Um, and like, there's books on the internet now, and you've got um, like parts of books, and there's books being read to you. Just like read a book. Um, like. Book reading is the most empathetic exercise you can do. You literally put yourselves in the shoe of another person for a second. Like your like your brain gets you there, even though you can't get there, even if you can't get there yourself. Like read some books, and then read books by people who don't look like you mm-hmm. specifically, um, mm-hmm. and read more of them, and then read a whole bunch of them. Mm-hmm. Um, Unless you've been reading books uh, by old white men for your whole life, so you, you can chill. <laughs> you know, uh, just kind of like move on, um, try something else. Yeah, um, even though they might not look like you, um, yeah, uh, you probably heard it. <laughs> yeah. What do you? What art are you currently taking in that's giving you life mm. and the energy to keep going? Yeah, um, the new No Name album. For sure. I haven't caught that yet. Get it? Um, she's she's going to come on. Yeah? Oh, oh! thank the Lord. That's like, what? That's amazing. I'm so yeah. I'm so happy about that. We'll talk about that later. But <laughs> um, the new No Name album, for sure, um, is tight. Uh, Denez Smith's um, Don't Call Us Dead. Minnesota? Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Word. Yeah, we stacked. <laughs> I just heard the name three days ago. Yeah, word. Um, yeah, they're like national... National Book Award nominated. Um, this book, like, blowing everybody out of, out of water. They were just on, I don't know, they're in every magazine. Um, they're, like, everybody's favorite poet right now. It's it's, it's legit. They're amazing. Um, and so, yeah, Denez Smith, Don't Call Us Dead. Or even Denez Smith's Instagram. Like, <laughs> uh, just just going on there and just, like, seeing their life is, is enough. Um... I've been really, I've been re, I've been watching a lot of anime right now. Um, getting back into it a lot of because my students are super into it, and mm-hmm. and it just reminded me kind of like they're all walk, walking around with like manga in their backpack and stuff like that. I'm like, oh yeah, for sure. So I've just like I've been getting back in like Attack on Titan, My Hero Academia, um, Black Clover, which I don't think is that good, but it's gotten better. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like. And, and like consuming, like watching all these anime have like reminded me. It's it's interesting because it's like I grew up on anime, so it's interesting to see what parts of that I've taken in myself. You know mm-hmm. how I understand myself and things like that. So it's been really cool mm-hmm. to like get back into it and like actually be like an avid anime watcher again. And then also comic books, yeah. um, specifically the comic books that I'm loving right now. Oh man. So Victor Lavelle's Destroyer, um, it's a, a retel- not a retelling, but it's a continuation of the Frankenstein story. Mm. Um, a, a woman, her son, gets shot by police um, on his way home from baseball practice or something like that. But she's like a world-renowned scientist, and she brings him back to life as this Frankenstein. Um, it's, it's crazy. Um, Say the name one more time. Or a wild. Victor Lavelle. Victor, Victor Lavelle's Destroyer. I, I can't remember the name of the the, the artist, but Victor Lavelle writes it. Um, and there's also one called Black. I can't remember his name. I feel so bad. I just met him the other day. He lives in Brooklyn. Uh, or no, he lives in Queens. But it's called Black. And it's about a world in which 
um, black people have, only black people have superpowers. Um, and they kind of like tie that into like, there's this government conspiracy to cover up the fact that only black people have superpowers and keeping black people out of the know about it as well. Um, and it's, it's, it's incredible. Um, yeah. Yeah. I just got one follow up mm-hmm. from that. The, uh, you said like seeing your students carrying around manga. Yeah. And you were like, whoa, a lot of like formative years. Mm-hmm. What, what things have sort of been revealing to themselves as you sort of look back on how mm-hmm. those, you said like formed pieces of, you know, art and as mm-hmm. you took it in. Yeah. Um, I think for me, it was a lot of, um, your friends are the most important people in the world to you. Um, it was just kind of like, if you've got your friends, you can do it. Um, was a huge thing, especially with like, I had a lot of disparity with my family. So my friends were my family for a long time. Um, so that really was ingrained in me. Um, also, I think I, I tend to try to do things through sheer force of will a lot. Um, <laughs> that was one thing that my old therapist talked about a lot. He was like, it's not a, you can't. <laughs> um, and I was like, the way my life is going says you're right, but, <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but I don't know. Um, and also, It's also, it's also, I actually, it's also um, thing I'm seeing over and over again. There's a whole bunch of misogyny like rolled into the entire thing, and so mm. every time it comes up, I'm like, hmm, that's like, that's like I learned some of that there, yeah, you know, yeah. from this from this culture, yeah. Um, and mm. it's really easy to like be like, like the thing about sheer force of will, like it has been an unhealthy force in my life at times, but it's like nice, you know, it's like, it's kind of a nice thing to say, but then you realize you get a lot of ugly stuff from those things as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and I think that those things have been like looking back on it where it's just kind of like, oh wow, that's fucked up, you know? Yeah, Um, Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, where can people find you on social media? Um, On Instagram at Sir Joseph Capehart, sounds extra, it is, it's great. Cool. Twitter at J Hart Cape, H A R T C A P E, um, is the cool. handle. Um, cool, cool. Facebook, just Joseph Capehart, find me there. Cool. Yeah. Well, Joseph Capehart, thanks for getting down Thank with you. us in yeah. NYC and hanging yeah. out with right. us in Brooklyn. Thank you all Honor. for coming all the way here. Well, this is like slice of home. I love it. Thank you, Joseph. Thank you, sir. We appreciate it. See you in Minnesota soon or in New York. Everybody, you know what it is. Tell your friends. This episode was important. I think all of our episodes are important. Um, history. We're archiving that. Talking to these amazing, brilliant change makers, artists, social justice, <laughs> endowed in their being with social justice so you know we'd love you to share on all the platforms follow us on instagram at weapon of choice podcast facebook at weapon of choice podcast twitter at weapon choice pod drop us an email drop us that line there at weapon of choice fans at gmail.com that's weapon of choice fans at gmail.com we love you we listen to your feedback we want to hear more from you and all of you um so let us know what's on your mind uh hey 
If there's any art that's recharging you, your current music you're currently listening to, shows you've been to, galleries you've seen art in. Uh, I just went and saw The Art of Avoiding People by Jose Dominguez right here in Minneapolis. So it's at the public functionary. Yeah, it's at public functionary in Minneapolis until December 15th. So this episode's out. You still got time if you're around. And uh, yeah, let us know. Email us, drop us a line, DM us, whatever. What art are you taking in that's recharging you? We want to know from you. All right? As always, Weapon of Choice Podcast is a special menu production. You can find more out about us at our website, www.specialmenuproductions.com. Our theme music is supplied by the ever-talented Renee Copeland. That's right. And... Hey, we're just blessed to continue to be doing this for everybody. Um, so thank you so much for all your love and support. Um, mm-hmm. If if you love what you're hearing and you want to keep hearing it, uh, check us out at www.patreon.com forward slash weapon of choice podcast. You can check out our Patreon. Even a dollar a month helps. Um, episodes like this one where we traveled to New York, uh, that was made possible from all of our Patreon donors, and we are so thankful for that. That's right. Um, and we're trying. We're we're growing uh, piece by piece, interv- interview by interview, um, and we can't say enough how grateful we are for all the love and support. So thank you all. Weapon of choice community. That's what it is. All of you are already contributing. We we love you for that. They're giving monthly. They're giving what they can. And give if you know that someone else can't give. Give for them. Uh, we just were able to upgrade three microphones because of folks chipping in so we appreciate that love and go to the patreon and check us out and if you like what you see throw us some dollars you know we appreciate it and we're going to definitely honor your support so we're going to leave you we're going to keep it smooth we're going to keep it funky we're going to keep it all the way real because right out of minneapolis i'm gonna hit you with another song from the mike album that's m-m-y-y-k-k you can find them on social media at that same spelling mike m-m-y-y-k-k and this track is called history from his latest solo album dig it we love y'all
Yesterday 